The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the Star Quest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. And today we're discussing the big finish story, Stage Fright. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hey, Father Corey. How's it going? And Jimmy Aiken. Hey, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Folks, be sure to follow The Secrets of Doctor Who in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, all the places including your favorite podcast app, or join us on the StarQuest YouTube channel where you can watch us and hit the bell to get notifications. I want to tell you about another show on the StarQuest network you are sure to enjoy called The Secrets of Movies and TV Shows. You can find that wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash secrets. So before we get to our recap, uh, just first off, uh, what did you think of this part of the story we're continuing the six doctors last adventure and this is the uh third uh installment of that and just overall first impressions uh jimmy what did you think oh before the recap okay um so i i thought it was i thought it was fine the story is starting to come together we have a you know third act reveal of the main villain and it connects up to what we've had in the previous two um I won't go into the details because that's what we do after the recap. Yeah. But um but I thought it was fine. Well, Corey, what'd you think? It was it was enjoyable. You get to in, get to meet uh two characters that they've developed in uh or three characters excuse me that they've developed in Big Finish before, Jago, Lightfoot, mm-hmm. and Ellie. And uh very I hadn't heard any of their stuff yet, so it was very interesting to kind of hear them and they're they're a lot of fun. I can see why that they became you know popular enough to actually do a spinoff series kind of with them. Uh, so I'm gonna have to go back and listen to some more of their stuff because it was it was a lot of fun. It was very very uh, entertaining characters to say the least. Um, but yeah, this was this was this was a good one. You know, it, it, this one I wasn't as big. It was inter. It was neat. I enjoyed this one, but it wasn't as much as the other two so far. You know. Mm-hmm. But I yeah. enjoyed it. It was good. Yeah, I I, I think I'm on that, that same page. Uh, it was it was good. It was in- interesting getting the the villiard right from the the top, all that sort of stuff. Um, but it didn't have quite the interesting premises that the first two had. Uh, it was a little more um conventional in that, which isn't bad. It just was yeah. um wasn't as unique as the other two. So that said, why don't we get into the recap, Jimmy? Could you give us a recap of what we're talking about? This week, the Sixth Doctor and Philippa, or Flip Jackson, are in Victorian London, where they meet up with theater owner Henry Gordon Jago and Professor George Lightfoot, who Dom doesn't know yet because they were first met by the Fourth Doctor in the TV adventure The Talons of Wang Chiang. Currently, Jago is taking time off from his theater, which he's rented out to a mysterious man for a private production that he is performing in private. Uh, simultaneously, Lightfoot has been examining the bodies of people found around the city who have been inexplicably mummified, as if life was just drained out of them. The doctor realizes that both of these are connected, 
And it turns out that the Valeyard is the mysterious man who's rented the theater. He's been hiring actors to play the Doctor's former companions and help him reenact the moments of the Doctor's different deaths and regenerations. And at the dramatic climax, he uses Dr. Payton's psychic extraction machine from the Red House to suck the life out of them. All of this has just been to lure the Sixth Doctor to him, because what he really wants is to get the Sixth Doctor really mad and use the Psychic Extractor to suck the Doctor's much more powerful energies to become stronger. At his final performance, the plan is working, and he's sucking the Doctor's negative emotions, but Flip overcomes her stage fright and says silly nursery rhymes to get the Doctor to calm down and stop feeding the Valyard. Then Jago and Lightfoot arrive with a mob of Londoners who are outraged by the recent deaths of all the actors, forcing the Valyard to flee. But once alone, the Valyard says to himself that this isn't over, that he got what he needed, and that by feeding on the Sixth Doctor's energies, he's now strong enough to win. The end. Okay. So, yeah, and like we said, this is the third of four parts, so that presumably is going to be the fourth big you know, uh, installment, the final confrontation between the Valyard and the Sixth Doctor. Um, so, so we've got Flip. We've had two other companions already. We've had Charlie and we had um, Miss Constance Clark. Mm -hmm. And uh, now we have Flip. Uh, who's Flip? Like, do, do we know her, her yeah, backstory a bit? She, she's from 21st century London. Um, she's from like the year 2012 or so. And she's she's got this high higher pitched voice that's a little screechy and or can be and she's not that intelligent. She's not my favorite companion. I haven't heard a lot of Flip before, but I she's not my favorite. Mm. She was better this time in listening to this. I mean, I've listened to this adventure before, but it's been years. In listening to this one again, you know, she 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 wasn't I didn't find her as grating as I remembered, but she's not my favorite. And they they even talk about some of her character deficiencies in the show itself. So like there's there's um at the climax of this episode, you know, the um the Valyard is riled up the doctor's negative emotions and and the doctor is, um, you know, Flip is there at the theater and the Valyard could use his machine on her. And the doctor says, good luck with Flip. She hasn't an evil thought in her head. And the Valyard says, you might even dispense with the adjective. <laughs> yeah. meaning, I remember that. <laughs> meaning, meaning drop the evil. And he could have said she hasn't a thought in her head. Yes. Yeah, yes. It's clear she's meant to be kind of a contemporary young woman who's, you know, into the popular media and stuff like that. Cause there's references to Harry Potter references to uh, UK's got talent or British got talent, whatever they call it. We call America's got talent, obviously here in, in the U S but Victorian got talent, things like that. <laughs> yeah. She also likes Jar Jar Banks and things like that. Uh, and that, that, that right there was, that was evil right there. <laughs> <laughs> She's kind of like Rose only played for comic relief and, and not, in, and and comically not intelligent. That was that was exactly what I was going to say. It, it it came across as very much like Rose, like a a shop girl from the council flats. You know, just like a, along that that sort of class line. Um, yeah. So 
Only, have, only, only not played for hot, sexy council flats girl who smarts. Right, right. So uh, we have the the Valyard. We start off with him narrating, and at first it sounds like it's like a narration to the listener, but it's really he's he's um, setting up a scene that he's about to do with these actors. Um, he's staging a play with three other actors, reenacting the fourth Doctor's death, the uh, Tom Baker's uh, fall from the the, the high spot. Um, the actors are playing Adric, Nissa, and Tegan, and we get clues as to who they're supposed to be from the descriptions, and and they don't you know come right out and tell us, which is nice. We we pick it up, you know, since we're Doctor Who fans, we can pick these these things up, including like the actress playing Nissa wearing a velour outfit and that sort of mm-hmm. thing. So the- it, especially they're relying on us being Doctor Who fans because this is the missing regeneration story, the one we never got on television. And so that lets you have permission to assume your mm-hmm. audience, the people who are actually going to buy this, are fans of regeneration stories. And right. so they're going to know the other regeneration stories right. and pick up on those references since that's what they're here for is to get the one they're missing. Well, and it's it's interesting too. Is you know we see the first, I guess, four regenerations, mm-hmm. but nothing after. Even though this was this was recorded long, I mean, knew who was going on by the time this was recorded, right? You know, so they but they didn't do anything of the seventh to the eighth, or you know, you know, anything like that. Ninth to the tenth. Yeah, I think so. They did allude to the fifth Doctor's regeneration because mm-hmm. in the opening fourth Doctor one, um, they. They're, the actors have a hazy memory of, haven't we done this before, only it was different? Right. And they allude to the doctor being poisoned right, right. On, on a previous rehearsal. And so that would be the fifth doctor who got the spectrox yeah. toxemia. And so it looks like what the Valyard's been doing since he's luring the sixth doctor, any companions from after whose bodies get found from after the sixth doctor wouldn't mean anything to him. So right. he's just been rehearsing the, um, the, the deaths of the first five doctors. Correct. And he seems to be counting down with a variation. He, in this, he goes five, which we don't see. Mm-hmm. And then four, three, one, and then ends up with two. And and so he seems to be counting backwards, except he's inverted the first two, presumably because of the courtroom nature of the Valyard's mm-hmm. introduction, where he's he meets the doctor when the doctor is being put on trial, just like the second doctor was put on trial. And so this is sort of his homage to that, um, mm-hmm. is he wants to end with the courtroom drama. I think it's it's interesting that you know, these actors have been dying and been, their bodies being found, except these actors seem to have done two regeneration mm-hmm. plays, the fifth and now the fourth, and with a memory well, loss. But with one of them who, who, who died, because there was originally a, an actor named Johnny who, right. who was there, who's now been replaced by another actor. Right. And the Valyard even like accidentally calls the new actor Johnny, and they remind him Johnny's not here anymore. Yeah, right. Yeah, they, 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 he does say at some point that they're, they those who are hardier can handle, who have a you know stronger constitution can handle more than one, and that's where where Jago it said that because of the the alcohol and the the steak and kidney pies that he's been eating have kept him <laughs> from succumbing as strongly as others might have. Yeah, Ellie also survives one. 
right. the Ellie yeah. the barmaid. Yes, because she's psychic, apparently, right? Um, she has like strong psychic ability, which apparently comes up in other stories. I think that's I saw that in the in the TARDIS mm. wiki. Maybe I haven't Not, I haven't listened to the Jago and Lightfoot adventures, but they did get their own series from Big Finish, and it is the same actors from the TV show. Um, although it they're not producing them now because um, I believe it's the actor who plays Lightfoot passed on not so long ago, and so they finished the series. Right. They also have like Jago Lightfoot and Strax. Oh, oh, that could be yeah. fun. <laughs> uh, speak, speaking of Ellie, um, her voice will sound familiar for Classic Who fans. Lisa Bowerman, who plays Kara in the final episode of The Seventh Doctor, Survival. She's one of the, the cat The cat women. people. Oh, wow. She's the one that befriends Ace in that one. So we haven't gotten there yet. That's actually the, we've got one. That's the only one we haven't recorded The Seventh Doctor, I believe, mm-hmm. is Survival. Yeah. So when yeah. we finally get to that, Dom will get to. <laughs> to, to hear that wonderful story yes yes um so the doctor and flip show up and they're they're here it's 1890s london and they're they're at the new regency theater which apparently the doctor already knows about because he's mm-hmm. encountered uh jago and lightfoot before like you mentioned in the uh, towns of wang chiang and he, for a cultural education for flip um so that is how he puts it um but when they get there, they the, it's closed because the private thing. And so they go to find uh, Jago and Lightfoot at the Red Lion Inn, which is apparently a location that is w- would be known to people f- who've heard their stories before. Um, and l- so Lightfoot's a pathologist. Is that right, Professor Lightfoot? Yes, yes. Okay, so he's got bodies in the morgue uh, that are like dried out mummies, but they've only been dead a week. And so the doctor is obviously interested in that. And they split up. So the doctor goes with Lightfoot, Jago, and Flip go to the theater. And um, when they get there, the Valyard's got another play going, this time reenacting the fourth doctor's death. So, because I the, think the first doctor's death, mm-hmm. I think. Um, so, even the, I, so I guess even then it's, it's still inverted a little bit because it's, it goes yeah. four, one, three, two, which is, interesting. I guess, so. yeah, I guess so. Um, and these are all, he passed, he's passing these different deaths off as drafts of a play called Death of a Pridonian, which the doctor explains is the house that he belongs to on Gallifrey and, and Flip immediately compares that to like Hufflepuff and Slytherin. (laughs) That's right. Right. And so he changes the name of the play for the final performance to death of the doctor. Yes. Which would have been an interesting title for this story. It's interesting that they went for, um, you know, stage fright instead of death of, of the Pridonian or death of the doctor, which would have been a little, yeah. I, I think it's only part three can't have yeah. a death yet. Well, I, I think that would be an interesting twist. Like, Oh, it's mm-hmm. not, you know, you think it's just the one and then that, it's that, not. That's a Stephen Moffat thing. The, of the doctor <laughs> thing is a Stephen Moffat thing. He's, that's he's true. trademarked that. Yeah, Day of the Doctor, Night of the Doctor. Um, what one of the interesting so the doctors with Lightfoot and they're looking at the bodies that are dressed in costumes that look like Adricness and Tegan's clothes, and we find out that the bodies were left near Baker Street, which the doctor says was an old address of his. Is this mm-hmm. an uh him you know hinting that he might have been Sherlock Holmes? No, they've done it. it Madame Vastra is Sherlock Holmes. 
Um, the doctor has had a bunch of adventures in Big Finish in Victorian era London, and okay. including different incarnations. In and presumably on Baker Street, then. So okay, um, yeah, because it would be, it, it's it would I think it still would still probably be a reference to the doctor at least being near uh, the Sherlock Holmes famous haunt. I would think because mm-hmm. yeah, because everyone that's the everyone would recognize Baker Street for that. Um, you found a pendant with old Gallifreyan writing on it as a part of the lore, right? The the, the Valyard. Um, I, I like the fact that the Valyard's very thinly disguised uh, alias, Timothy Yardvale. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, with he's, picking up the name Timothy from part one of this box set. Yep. Who was, because you'll recall the Valyard oh. was disguised as Timothy, whatever his name was, in the train yard. Right. That's right. Yep. That's right. And he he invites Flipped up on stage to join him, you know, in the in the play. And this is where she begs off for stage fright. Like she just, I no no no, I could never do dramas in school or whatever because I always got stage fright. Even though Flip is remarkably unfearful in almost every other situation. Mm. Uh, so the the play gets staged. We have this, you know, the first Doctor regeneration with um, oh, Ben and Polly. Ben and Polly, yes, yeah, so the new was a B. Ben and Polly, um, the actors on stage are killed. They're drained, but uh, Fl- uh, Flip and Jago fall asleep. They they go. They're unconscious, so they're pr- presumably far enough away from the action. Yeah. They're also kind of hypnotized, and they comment mm-hmm. on how moving and effective the play was, and don't seem to realize that the actors have been killed in front of them. And this the the psychic machine, so it works off of emotion. It drain the more the more emotion, the more it drains. Is that it, the idea? It seems to be that it needs to get up to a certain threshold of emotion, and then it can really do its extraction work. That because the Valyard is like whipping people up into an emotional state and telling them he wants them to emote more, mm-hmm. and then the machine seems to do its thing. So it's it's like there's a threshold that needs to get crossed emotionally. Incidentally, I found it interesting that even though they they retained the gist of what happened at the doctor's different deaths, the dialogue is different. Mm-hmm. Because I've got those scenes in memory, and I notice, oh, that's not what they said in that episode. That's not the exact line. Mm. So he's kind of, for some reason, as a writing choice, they decided to not just copy and paste mm-hmm. from those scripts. I'm not sure why. I mean, it could be a legal reason that they're not allowed to. It also could be meant to just be the Valyard's memories are kind of fuzzy of mm. of the different of the different times he regenerated as the Doctor. Mm-hmm. It also could be the Valyard deliberate, or it could be a, a writing choice for another reason, which is to give the actors more to say that's more distinctive so that because if you if you're watching the visuals on TV you can see who's saying what right and and obviously if they've got like three actors there as the three companions they all need to say something if you're going to justify their existence on the audio so so that could be part of why as well and I, I, but between that mix of factors including the lack of visuals it's notable to me that they change the dialogue and the death scenes. Well, I, I can't speak to the, the behind the scenes, whether or not it's a legal issue, which I, I'd be surprised if, for that. Mm. But 
um he, the valier does say at some point i can't remember exactly how he puts it but the, basically that he as he's doing this he's remembering more and more mm-hmm. so uh, the the you know the fuzzy memory and also you know, memory is notorious for being you know remembering exact quotes for most people anyways is notorious for not being in an exact science you know where yeah and especially when you're talking hundreds, if not thousands of years, in the case of the, the doctor, you know, it, it very easy to explain why those, they might not be exact quotes, especially in, in the most tragic moments of his life, lives. Right. He's just dead. <laughs> yeah. Incidentally, they retconned the Valyard's origin a little bit in this. He's still, was, yeah. he's still kind of a ambiguous future twisted version of, of the doctor's darker sides. But they now say instead of between his 12th and final regeneration, the doctor says he's from between my penultimate and final regeneration. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was interesting because in this scene, the doctor has to explain regeneration to Flip. She apparently doesn't know about regenerations yet. Uh, And he talks about how, you know, he's the dark side of who he is. And, of course, Flip compares it to Darth Vader and and that Mm -hmm. sort of thing. Um, But the doctor also posits that the Valyard might be from an, from an alternate universe, an alternate version of him, you know, when, like, cause in the first story of this, of this set, we had the, the, all these, these, uh, the multiverse slamming together. And I think he's positing that maybe the Valyard is him from one of these dark dimensions that he talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, I, interesting. I, and I think that's kind of, I think that's kind of natural for the writers to, to throw up possibles, for here's where the Valyard, what the Valyard might be, or because no one wants to think the Doctor's really going to go bad one day. Mm. Yeah, right. Um, he and uh, he does have a good line here with the Doctor uh, talking about the Valyard being a future version of himself. I am my own worst enemy, which is yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> quite literally so. Um, so the Jago takes the Valyard to the Red Lion uh, in uh, to do a casting call to get more actors. And um, that's where he convinces Jago and Ellie to be in the play for the third doctor's death scene, playing the brigadier in Sarah Jane. Mm-hmm. So, um, and meanwhile, the doctor takes flip to the, to the Villiards costume shop. They kind of mm-hmm. track him down there, which turns out to be the Villiards TARDIS. Um, mm-hmm. and so they get in there. And they they arrive in the nick of time, as we mentioned before, to save Ellie and Jago from the machine. B- Ellie, because of strong psychic abilities and Jago's boozy <laughs> uh, yeah. red meat diet, apparently. So it's which is interesting. Yeah, there's also another actor. So one of the one of the actresses who died during the fourth Doctor regeneration at the beginning was a woman named Susie, who was Scottish. And her brother Drew McDonald has come down from. I, I think he says Edinburgh. It's either Edinburgh yep. or Glasgow. He Edinburgh. Uh, and, and he's here also as an actor. He's, he's passing himself off as an actor, but he's really here to look for her. And he gets recruited in a casting call as well. Um, and he's going to end up playing Jamie at the, right. at the final version. And so he's like, I, I don't know if he's already wearing a kilt, but he gets one on. And, <laughs> and he's got the Scottish accent. Yep. And and Flip gets recruited as Zoe uh, yeah. for the for the second doctor's trial. And uh she yeah, she gets caught and she by the by the uh the the uh, 
Villiard because she was chasing him, mm-hmm. and he catches her and forces her to be in the play. Oh, yeah. And that's a nice moment, too, because, um, you know, it, they're having this confrontation. It's on stage, and the Valyard, you know, vanishes. And and it's either the doctor or Flip says, the stage just opened up and swallowed him. And mm-hmm. and Flip says, yeah, trapdoor. And then she jumps down the trapdoor to go chase him. The doctor has something else he's got to do at the moment. He yells at her not to go, but she does anyway. And then we cut to the Valyard in the darkness under the stage, and he's waiting for Flip because he's, you know, he remembers her jumping. And so he's going to lure her to where he wants her to be. And he, and she's not coming. And he's like, Miss Jackson, do you need a little help? And he -hmm. starts cackling malevolently to make noise so that she will find him. Yep. Right. Right. And and th- and then he hypnotizes her. That's which is yeah. one of the, mm-hmm. the things that the doctor has, has got the, has the ability to do. So we have this final reenactment that's going on at the costume shop. I, th- I think it's at the costume shop. I wasn't mm-hmm. sure with the mm-hmm. audio. Um, yeah. And the when the doctor well, arrives, the final one is at the theater. It, okay, it is. I didn't catch no, it, the. It was it the was the mood. costume shop because he ended up having two machines. He had the prototype that was at the theater, and then the one in his mm-hmm. TARDIS. And the one in the theater got blown up. Yeah, there, I and, think that I think the costume shop and the theater may be very close to each other or something because they have this line where Jago and Ellie are at the Red Lion, and you can hear the crowd in the background is is riled up because Ellie's been telling them about the actors being yeah. killed, and they say let's let's head over to the Regency. Oh, you know, actually, now now I remember it, it's both. Um, he takes his TARDIS and moves it to, back to the theater. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And that's then when the final thing happens. So the costume shop went to the theater. Gotcha. So it was gotcha. both. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I found that a little bit. That's the, you know, the, the problems with audio is, is if that's not clear, they, they can get confusing. So um, the, when they show up, the, the, uh, the doctor, when the doctor arrives, the, uh, the Villiard reverses the polarity of the machine. Yeah. Of course. And uh, that now it's absorbing the doctor's negative emotions, and and in addition to absorbing negative emotions, I, I I get the sense that it also enhances them. It it prods them. It makes you it makes you feel these more. Like it um, it makes them bigger, so that mm-hmm. so it sort of get this feedback loop where it's absorbing the emotions, but also in, inciting them as well. Well, um, this is this is also the sixth doctor where he's very bombastic when he gets incensed. So, I mean, there's quite a yes. bit of emotion there to be able to pull from in the first place. That's right. Um, and so th- they're there, the doctor's trying to deal with the, you know, he's getting angry and indignant. Uh, and this is when the mob of angry actors arrives to exact justice on the Valyard for killing the other actors. Um, and then we have the, this discussion between the Valyard and the doctor about, what is theater? And the Valyard says, theater is about truth, death, the revelation of oneself. And the doctor says, no, theater is about joy, uniting people in a catharsis of morality, collective emotion and experience. There may be pain and grief, but it is a burden shared. What do you think? I mean, uh, is it? I, I think I'm not sure is, I buy either. I, I, I think <laughs> this is typical theatrical writing about theater. It's self-referential on the part of the writers. Yeah, I also think that they both are. Um, they both have 
elements of the truth in what they say about theater. But if I had, if push came to shove, I'd have to go with the Valiard on this one. <laughs> I I was kind of leaning that way too. I think mm-hmm. it's 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 yeah, it's more about well that at least yeah. there, at least there wasn't preaching to the audience and telling them why you know they need to believe X Y and Z you know yes. and stuff like that and support your local community theater <laughs> yes and your PBS station. <laughs> so uh, Flip ends up reciting nursery rhymes to distract the doctor uh, to you know and to kind of make him laugh, I guess. Um, and this is an interesting moment because Flip get just gets up on stage and she starts singing "Ba Ba Black Sheep," and then when she finishes that, she goes into something else. She starts she she does several different nursery rhymes. Some of them she's kind of singing. Some of them she's just reciting. And it is such a destroyer of the dramatic momentum of the scene. Yeah. Both, not just within the story, diegetically, but non-diegetically. This is just, it brings the big finish production to a screeching halt, which is the point. That's exactly what she's doing. (laughs) She's breaking the drama so that the doctor can reflect and calm down. And so it's 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 interesting that 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 we're getting it. I mean, it it works on a kind of meta level. She's she's destroying the dramatic momentum of this, well, <laughs> and yeah. by by saying silly nursery rhymes badly. Yeah, and and uh, it also the 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 effect in addition is to make the doctor feel pride and joy in her because she's overcome her stage fright in order to, you know, to, to stop the failure and help him. Um, so I guess that's where, where we're getting stage fright. I, I felt that was a little, a little much. I mean, it was a bit of a reach, you know, that, that whole, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, oh, she's overcome her stage fright, you know, that sort of thing. I mean, they seed it early on, but it's, it's kind of yeah. a minor, it's a minor thing. Yeah. It, it's, it's a little bit to hang the whole title on, you know what I mean? That the whole, mm-hmm. the whole story name. Um, well, and I mean, there's obviously two senses to the word stage fright. There's stage fright of being afraid of being on stage, and then there's being basically frightened to death, right on as, the stage. As happens on the yeah. stage. So it's true. This, this is there's two senses to this meaning. State this title. They're going for the pun. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> um, yeah. So the, the 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 conclusion is you know the doctor you know gives the, the morality uh, the the moral of the story you know that the doctor's strength is in his friends while the Valyard is all alone and that's why he doesn't have the the strength I mean this is a common theme throughout the doctor uh, is you know the doctor and his friends always defeat the master who's alone or the Valyard who's alone or whatnot um, and the Valyard escapes the mob leaves the machine to explode uh, but. He's never been so powerful and believes he can finally win, as you mentioned in the recap, Jimmy, uh, which we'll presumably get next time. And meanwhile, the doctor is shaken and depressed for the Valyard because because that's his future. Right. He, he's I, like and I can imagine seeing future you being evil guy is is sad. It's going to be depressing. Well, it seemed to me too that they kind of referenced this that he really isn't the future of the doctor so much as like a distillation of mm-hmm. the evil of the doctor. So he's not he's like a split off from the doctor, right? You know. So they they kind of made it sound a little that it, it's not it's clear cut of he's a you know he is the doctor. He's just take the worst of the doctor and break it off, and that's who you get. 
And and this ambiguity goes back to Trial of a Time Lord, where mm. in the original Robert Holmes draft, he's the future doctor. And John Nathan Turner didn't want it to be that unambiguous. Okay. And then we get echoes of the black and white guardian, and like we'd seen in um, the fifth Doctor story, Enlightenment, we did recently, where uh, Lightfoot is the one who says, well, you know, dark cannot exist without light and we must embrace the darkness to see the light. And which yeah, is, and that's nonsense. Yeah, yeah. Very yin and yang, uh, sort of, uh, thing, but it's, yeah. We, yeah. Specifically, he says day cannot exist without night. And I'm going, yes, it can. You're on a tidally locked planet, especially a tidally locked planet in a dual solar system. And you're orbiting one of the suns. You can absolutely have day without night. <laughs> right. They can keep or, going or on. Just get far enough away from the Earth so you're outside of the gravity well and just point yeah. at the sun. You'll have perpetual daylight. Or, or get far enough out, you'll have perpetual night. Yeah. <laughs> or the North mm-hmm. Pole in the summer or, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> that's right. Yeah. I mean, you don't, you don't need evil for good to exist. And I think that's the, that's the, the falsehood here is, you know, good is yeah. itself good. Evil is a privation of good. And so without, you know, without evil, good can still exist. Mm-hmm. So um, we end with uh, Jago thinking of staging a play about a man fighting his negative side, uh, but Lightfoot tells him it's already been done. Jekyll and Hyde. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, and I was pleased that they finally did that because I'd been thinking Jekyll and Hyde all the way through this. Right, mm-hmm. right. Yes, and in fact, apparently um, Jekyll and Hyde was somewhat contemporaneous. It was slightly before yeah. the eighteen nineties. Yeah, in fact, um, in fact, uh, Lightfoot points it out. It's been done, and not just has it been done, it's been done recently on the stage. And okay. he names, names a production of Jekyll and Hyde that had, had existed, I gather, in real history. Right, right. The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde is the actual book title uh, by um, Robert Louis Stevenson. That's right. Mm-hmm. So I was trying to think of that. So, uh, and so that's where we end this story, right? Right before we're going to, you know, the penultimate story before the big finale. What did you think of this story? Uh, you know, any final notes on this story, Father Corey? So I, I got a kick out of the, when the Doctor and Flip find the Valyard's costume shop slash TARDIS, it's filled with reproductions of the Doctor's coat. And Flip describes it as an explosion on a rainbow factory. <laughs> or she makes all little comments about his coat all the way through, but I thought that was a, a, a good line to describe it. Right. Especially considering in the last story, it was, uh, it was Charlie commenting on the doctor's fashion choices and him being defensive about it too. Yeah. Jimmy, how about you? So I thought this one aspect of this story that I thought was particularly nice was the creepiness of the Valyard reenacting the doctor's deaths because he's planning to kill the doctor. I mean, that's what we're building up to. And to have as the penultimate chapter to have him rehearsing the doctor's deaths in anticipation of killing the doctor. I mean, it, it would have been creepy at any time to have the doctor stumble across someone rehearsing his deaths, all of them up to this point. But in the penultimate story where he's just about to regenerate next episode, having his, coming across someone rehearsing all of his prior regenerations is, is especially creepy. Mm. And and it seems to have an effect on the Valyard himself. At one point, um, the you know Time Lord biology, I guess, is kind of fluid. And at one point, he seems to partially change his own appearance when he's reenacting the um, 
the uh, first doctor's regeneration, Flip is watching, and she's kind of hypnotized, but she says, is is he changing? Is that a wig? Mm-hmm. And so it's like he may actually be partially changing his his form back and forth as he as he revisits these moments from his past. Mm, interesting. Yeah, time lord biology is kind of uh, kind of interesting. There's a lot there's a lot that goes on that they don't explore a lot. It's at least in the uh, in the the uh, visual medium, but uh, yeah, we've we've had examples of that, like with the Metacrisis Doctor and that sort of stuff. So and the Fourteenth Doctor, which <laughs> is a whole other uh, thing. So uh, I guess that will do it for this time. We'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Doctor Who, including Stephanie D, Mark T, Theo V, Paul B, and Eric. Their generous tax-deductible donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Doctor Who and all the shows at StarQuest. And you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. We'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edited this episode. So that's it from us. What did you think of Stage Fright, this uh, Big Finish production? You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page, or send an email to Who at sqpn.com, or visit the StarQuest Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord. You can watch The Secrets of Doctor Who in full video on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash starquestmedia. And we'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the final part of The Six Doctors' Last Adventure called The Brink of Death. Until then, Jimmy Yakin, thank you for joining me and sharing The Secrets of Doctor Who. Thanks, Tom. Father Corey Stika, thank you as well. Thank you, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember, I know death hath 10,000 several doors for men to take their exits. <laughs> <laughs>